Good morning. It is Wednesday, April 22nd, and you're listening to the College Football Daily, a 24-7 sports podcast that's dedicated to catching you up on and breaking down the day's college football news. My name is Trey Scott. We've got a busy day today. You know, you wake up sometimes, and as was the case yesterday, and you say, oh, there's not any news. And then there ends up being plenty of news. So we're going to get to all of that a little bit here on the College Football Daily. But first, we're going to talk to Steve Wolfong, the 24-7 Sports Director of Recruiting, because the big story of the day was that Corey Foreman, the number one recruit in the class of 2021, according to the 24-7 Sports Composite, has decommitted. This is the first time since 2012, the fall of 2012, that the number one recruit in the country decommitted during his recruitment. That was Robert Kimdichie. What do he and Corey Foreman have in common? They can both now call themselves former Clemson Tiger commits. So, yeah, it's not every day that Clemson sees a decommitment. It's been several years. Corey Foreman's a West Coast kid. Clemson's obviously not on the West Coast. Clemson doesn't want Corey Foreman taking visits. Corey Foreman wants to take visits. And there's almost 10 schools now involved with him, which is not surprising. You're talking about an elite pass rusher who, again, ranks as the number one player in the country. So we're going to get Steve Wiltfong on to talk about all of that. Who's in the mix? Does Clemson still have a chance? Why now? What is Corey Foreman going to do about the Clemson tattoo he has? It's a serious question. Well, I'm going to ask Steve, and we'll see if he answers it. So and then get to Steve, and then get to a lot of news, including some rule changes, and does the threat of a supplemental draft loom over college football? All right, bringing in my guy, Steve Wiltfong, 24-7 Sports Director of Recruiting. Steve, you knew this was coming, right? You knew Corey Foreman was going to decommit from Clemson the last few days. Yeah, you and I and uh, Josh Pate talked about it a couple times on our what we would maybe talk about in Wiltfong's whip around, and I just didn't feel comfortable going all in on the news for whatever reason, but now that it's out there, let's Let's chop it up on five-star defensive lineman, number one ranked player in the 24-7 sports composite, Corey Foreman. Do we start with what makes him really good? This is a pretty special prospect, right? Well, seeing him at the opening finals, just the twitch, the speed, the power, the ferocity he brings to the point of attack. I mean, he was, you could easily make the argument he was the best defensive lineman at the opening finals last year. Uh, when obviously he was a year younger than damn near everybody on the field. And uh, um, so he, he's definitely got some special talent uh, uh, to go get the quarterback. And, and those guys are coveted alongside quarterbacks and, and left tackle candidates. So he, he committed to Clemson in January. And in the time that's passed, we've had, you know, like we've had a pandemic. So he, he's a West Coast kid. Clemson's on the East Coast, but this isn't that's not really why he's decommitting here, right? It's not a distance thing. He's more so he wants to take visits elsewhere. And Clemson's policy is if you are a commit, you can't do that. Is that correct? And then sort of Steve, like, speak to that. Like is this an outdated policy at this point for the Tigers? No, um, I don't think it's an outdated policy. For we'll start with that first. I mean, Clemson wants guys that hundred percent want to come to Clemson, that doesn't mean they're going to stop recruiting Corey. It's just, hey, if, if you're not all in to use their word, that's cool. But but it's also, you know, Jerry and Ely signed with Ole Miss. Clemson wasn't going to let him take an official visit to Clemson unless he decommitted from Ole Miss. 
Um, and so he did that and took the official to Clemson. So, so it's not like they only hold their guys accountable for it, but not others they're recruiting. And, and it's just, it's worked for them to find guys that when they commit to Clemson, they, they know what they're signing up for and they haven't had to decommit in a couple of years. Uh, but Corey Foreman fits Clemson and the personality of the players they're looking for. And, and, and he's a guy that they coveted, and obviously he liked Clemson. And that visit in January had so many blue chippers on campus, and Clemson's players were really involved, and their coaches, and um, you know, a lot guys got they got several commits uh, uh, that weekend, and, and I think that they're still going to land some guys. Will Shipley was there that weekend, among others. Five star running back. Yeah, returning Clemson. Um, but but the dust settles, and other schools are still recruiting Corey Foreman, and. He's not done with the process, obviously, whether it's wanting to take visits, whether it's wanting to be closer to home, depending on who you ask. And uh, so um, I don't think it's an indictment on his feelings towards Clemson's or an indictment on Clemson's protocol. I just think that, you know, Corey Foreman's ready, you know, has more I's to dot, T's across and, and more things to look into on the trail. I teased this to the viewers or the listeners that I was going to ask you at least about the tattoo because people are talking about it. He, I, th- I th- and it's like not that. I mean, Ruben Foster had an, uh, had an Auburn tattoo, right? It's like, but Corey Foreman now sort of enters the tattoo Hall of Fame with a Clemson tattoo um, that Greg Biggins was talking about. Yeah, Danny Clark was a quarterback that committed to Ohio State real early. Um, like I think Urban Meyer got hired and got Danny in the boat pretty quickly. And uh, Danny ultimately ended up going to Kentucky, but he had a Ohio State Blacko tattoo that he had to cover up uh, with a different tattoo. And it, tattoos aren't the end of the world, as we've learned on the recruiting trail as well. And, and so that that Clemson tattoo uh, didn't bind him to the school uh, at, at the same caliber as an LOI would. That's pretty funny. Um Okay, so so what's next for Corey? USC, the Trojans. I just saw you put in a crystal ball for for USC, and this is this is Steve. Before you get going, like USC's all of a sudden this recruiting force after an abysmal twenty twenty, in which for most of the cycle they were behind the Troy Trojans. Well, I think I, I, I think there's there's a lot more juice in the in, in the building. Uh, for for USC uh, with some of the guys that, that they've hired to their staff, uh, Todd Orlando, Dante Williams for sure, Vic Soatoato. I mean, those are two. Those are the two guys recruiting uh, Foreman uh, along with some of the off field guys that, that are really good, like Gavin Morris. But Dante Dante Williams, Vic, and and, and then Craig Nabar uh, from Texas, and mm-hmm. I may have left a guy or two out. But anyway, they've added some more energy to their staff better recruiters. Um, the new AD believes in coach Helton and wants this administration, this new, this regime to, to work. So for the first time, at least until maybe they play a game or two, there's, there's really no black cloud over Clay Helton's job security. And, uh, um, my crystal ball, I just like my crystal ball to be with the current pulse. Like if a user comes to 24 seven sports and they w- may want to know what I'm thinking about a young man uh, and where he may go to school. Uh, they can now think, know that I am one of the 
couple guys along with Gerard Martinez and Chris Trevino, our USCfootball.com insiders, uh, that, that like USC's position. I talked to th- uh, three sources today um, with knowledge of the recruitment that think that this was USC's to lose. Um, and, and, uh, but one said it's a marathon still. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Oregon's in there, Arizona state's in there. Of course, uh, the SEC powers, Alabama, Georgia, and and LSU are are pushing. Uh, I I feel like there's some people around Baton Rouge that like their position with Corey Foreman and Mason Smith, who, who, uh, I'm told really connected at the opening finals, Mason being another one of the few 2021s that were invited to the opening finals last year. And, and Georgia, we've seen Georgia come from behind close several blue chippers from all over the country. Uh, so, so they're going to be formidable in this one. And and Kirby Smart's going to do, uh, everything he can to land Corey. Um, so maybe my crystal ball won't be on USC forever. Uh, but I like where they're at right now, uh, talking to people, and, and, and we'll see where this goes uh, with Corey Foreman moving forward. Well, it sounds like he wants to wait until the December early signing period, assuming we have that. I was going to ask you who's hitting, who's batting second, but you already covered that. So last one here then. Clemson, uh, you know, handicapped their chances of getting back in this. It's pretty rare for a decommitment to end up back in the class, but there is still time. You know, give me shoot me straight here. Yes or no? Well, he picked Clemson for a reason. I don't think he just. I mean, I don't think he committed because it was the cool thing to do that weekend. I mean, he saw the way they develop defensive linemen and and play championship level football every year. Uh, and, and I think it was a coaching staff that aligned with his beliefs. Um, with that being said, no one I really talked to today thought that he would end up back at Clemson. And that doesn't mean that any of them are right. Um, and I, I, I don't know how, where, how it ends for Clemson, if they're able to maneuver their way or maybe how, maybe they're still number one, you know, maybe he'll say they're still my leader and I plan to just take some other visits. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm excited to see what Greg Biggins is able to track down from, from the forming camp directly. Um, as he continues to work the the story from out there on the ground in Los Angeles. But no one that I talked to today uh, feels like Clemson is going to win this one back. Well, there's a, we're going to have plenty of Corey Foreman content on the website all week. I'm but sure. Did, this you, guy, see the, I, did huh? you see the Keith Niebuhr tweet, Trey? Did you see, no. did you see no. our Keith Niebuhr tweet? Our Auburn no. insider tweeted about, uh, you know, Clemson losing, They've lost the number one player in the country before to a decommitment. Robert uh, Kim Dietschy, uh decommitted from them uh, back in 2013. And, and Clemson's been in five playoffs uh, since then. So I think that Davos Sweeney and company would be all right too. Steve, it's the first number one player to decommit from a class since Kim Dietschy, And Clemson is the, the ironic thread here, which again is crazy because Clemson hardly ever has decommitments. That's Steve Wolfong. I'm excited to cover the Corey Foreman storyline the rest of the year. That'll be something that we keep tracking on 24-7 Sports. Thanks, Steve. Take care. Thanks, y'all. Very good stuff from Steve Wiltfong. Always enjoy having him on. Let's get to the rundown of some news. The NCAA approved a few new ones on Tuesday. Let's start with targeting. Nothing new is going to change about the actual targeting penalty. It's gotten better in the last few years uh, now that they can overturn it. You will no longer see, though, a college football player, an unpaid college student athlete, be uh, do what is the equivalent of, as colleague Bud Elliott said in Slack, 
the perp walk, which is when you get ejected and you get a security or a you know director of ops walk you all the way down the sideline and into the tunnel through the crowd. No longer will a player have to do that. If you get it ejected for targeting now, you can just stay in the sideline area. And I think that's just a much better look and prevents you from having to walk through a hostile territory if you're on the road. Also, the rules panel approved a guideline for instant replay officials to complete video reviews and wait for it less than two minutes. They're going to try to do the reviews in less than two minutes. This is just an overall expectation for replay officials. If a review is exceptionally complicated, or if it involves end of game issues, those should be completed as efficiently as possible without a stated time limit. Of course, this is giving them an out. And of course, yeah, like if it's exceptionally complicated or if it involves my team winning or losing on a last second play, I want it to be right. I don't want the clock to just run to two minutes and you go, well, what do you got? Put your pencils down, time's up, turn it over. No, this, this is good though. This is, I mean, how many times, you know, over 50%, I feel like uh, when a replay is happening, you can see it once and you know, do you confirm it, overturn it, does it stand? It doesn't take five minutes and sometimes it has been taking that long. So that's really good. Uh, I'm, I'm pleased that the NCAA did that. It also announced a few other minor rules, nothing really big. The jurisdiction for referees on the field applies now to a 90 minute pregame window rather than 60. So if you get into a skirmish with an opponent and it's within a 90 minutes till kickoff, you're going to get a flag for it. And we saw at least a warning for Texas OU players last year during that situation in Dallas. So it makes sense that they would apply that rule. So in all, I think some good rule changes by the NCAA. Boise State football coaches, all of the coaches are required to take furloughs right now as the university deals with funding shortfalls, according to the Idaho Statesman. Uh, that announcement came to the staff on Monday. B- news broke on Tuesday. Any employees to the school, or any employees of the school, rather, who are paid more than 40000 a year were required to take the furloughs. And the majority of Boise State's football co- coaches make more than 150000 annually. And, of course, Brian Harrison's salary is in the millions. So they fall into the highest tier of furloughs at 10 days. And if you're furloughed, these employees are not allowed or permitted to complete work tasks. So that's going to be fascinating to see. Does Brian Hardison follow those rules? How do they stagger that furlough with recruiting? Uh, My guess is, though, he doesn't follow the rules and they they figure some sort of, uh, you know, volunteer solution out for Brian Hardison. It's really hard to imagine a football coach not doing any work for 10 days. Got a kind of a tough one to sort through here, so bear with me, but I kind of want to talk this out. So Mark Dominic, former GM of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, tweeted on Tuesday, quote, With the COVID questions surrounding college football, I expect this year to be the largest group of players ever to to apply for the NFL supplemental draft. All right, unquote. So what is the supplemental draft? You've probably heard of it. It's not really a big deal. It's in July. It allows NFL teams to bid on players in a way such as if the Giants bid on 
they say a third round. They, they say, I bid a third round selection to take a player in a very small pool of players and they are the winning bid. Then they get that player, but then lose the corresponding pick of the next spring's NFL draft. So they would lose the third round pick. And they, the, the purpose of the bid is you're obviously the giants are bidding a third round pick unbeknownst to them. The Cardinals are bidding a fourth round pick. The giants win that bid. There was only one player selected in the 2019 supplemental draft. There were two, two players selected in 2018, none in 2017 or 2016. So, you know, right now there's very, it's very rare to, to get a, a player of merit or have a selection of players in the supplemental draft. Ahmad Brooks from Virginia was probably the most recent. Oh, Terrell Pryor was with the tattoo gate. He's the most recent Ahmad Brooks, Chris Carter, from the, the, you know, he, he was drafted by the Eagles, I believe, in the supplemental draft, eventually gets cut, lands on the Vikings. He's the only Hall of Famer to be a supplemental draft product. Bernie Kosar is also from the supplemental draft. So it's it's, it's a rare, rare thing, but maybe this year it's a big deal because players generally enter the supplemental draft after they've either missed a filing for the NFL draft, which is rare, or because issues developed which affected their eligibility, such as academic or disciplinary matters. So this kind of sets off a fury of thoughts in my head now if we're suggesting, if Mark Dominic, a former GM of the Bucks, is suggesting that we could see a lot of players in this year's supplemental draft. In regards to their eligibility, if we had an, a spring college football season, and we knew that by July, and you had a list of players who declined to enter the NFL draft this, this past draft, but were eligible. Travis Etienne, Najee Harris, Chuba Hubbard, Devontae Smith. They might say, I don't want to play in a spring college football season when the draft is going to run up against that anyway. And I already am out of, and I'm already eligible for it. If they swung something and they would have to swing something because, again, the supplemental draft has it's, involves players who have al- eligibility issues. If they swung something, then it's possible that you'd have, again, a, a Travis Etienne or a Najee Harris or Chuba Hubbard who end up entering the 2020 rookie class. This seems unlikely at, at this point. It's speculation. But, again, like if the college football season, if what would be their fourth year of college football – is not going to happen until January or February of 2021 with a scouting combine in February, an NFL draft in April, and the NFL season starting just a few months away, why would they play that season? And of course, this is the perfect chance for us to go ahead and ask, would Trevor Lawrence play? Would Justin Fields play? I think I know the question. answer to that question. I think it's a no, but those guys aren't already eligible for the NFL draft, so it'd be a little bit different. They want to enter this July supplemental draft. They might just sit out next spring's season if we had a spring college football season. I don't really want to think about that today. So, but anyway, you know, we'll see if if it becomes clear by June or July that they're not going to play football until February. I think there is a good chance that the supplemental draft has a really nice pool of players. I reached out to Mark Dominic on Twitter via DMs to see if he'd like to come on and talk more about that because I'm pretty interested. So we'll see what he says. 
Uh, lastly, before we end, uh, Georgia has done a really nice job. I just saw this article in the Ledger Inquirer in Columbus, Georgia. The Georgia Bulldogs Athletic Department has done a good job of saving, and I think you're going to see which departments have saved money, which haven't, as the COVID-19 pandemic, you know, causes a lot of a lot of questions. You know, do you cut this sport? Do you cut that sport? Etc. Georgia has 17.9 million in 2020 reserves remaining for the fiscal year, according to the Ledger Inquirer. Uh, in ex- in total, Georgia has over 102 million dollars available, and and could extract. Uh, they could allow three months of expenses extracted at a time, so approximately 38 million at a time if they had to. Um, that's pretty good. And Athletics Director Greg McGarity says that they would sooner tap into the reserves than cut sports, cut the non-revenue sports, because once you cut a sport, it's really hard to get that back. Here's what McGarity said, quote, we are ready for a rainy day, but not a level five tornado. And they do, again, they do expect to have to dip into the, into the reserves. McGarity said, quote, in fiscal year 2021, more than likely you'll need to use it to a certain level. We have to balance a much lower revenue stream, and we might have to estimate it without football. So hopefully the without football part doesn't end up happening. But at least for Georgia, they have saved their money. And yeah, I mean, worst case scenario, they dip into the reserves, probably don't have to cut any non-revenue sports. That's going to do it for today's episode of the College Football Daily. If you appreciate what we're doing, please express your support by leaving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. For Steve Wolfong, for our producer, Tony Levitt, I'm Trey Scott, and we'll see you on Thursday, draft day, for the next edition of the College Football Daily.